What is up, good movie buddies? It is your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, here with a bit of a disclaimer. My audio sounds terrible this episode. We did everything we could to try and tweak it, to try and run it through filters. My mic just completely let us down. David sounds great, and I think we have a really good conversation about Marvel's Eternals, but I wanted to let everybody know ahead of time, and hopefully we will have these technical snafus fixed by our next episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you make it all the way through the podcast. Check it out. On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we are getting cosmic and taking a look at what is potentially the most divisive and risky film that Marvel has ever produced. That's right. We saw Eternals. Get your popcorn ready. We're Eternals. We came here to protect humans from the deviants. When you love something, you fight for it. Dad, I saw him on TV with the cape shooting laser beams. I don't wear a cape. You can't protect any of them. Let's finish this. Marvel Studios Eternal, Sweetie PG-13, only in theaters November 5th. Good movie buddies to the popcorn diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, we're back after a mini sabbatical. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be at home. Been traveling lots, so yeah, that's uh that's impacted my ability to do these and and see many movies in general. I was looking at my uh, my list of movies I've seen in in the theater, I should say, and the last one was uh, 007, which we obviously did a podcast on. I think it was our last episode. Yeah, we missed yeah. out on we, we haven't and and granted some of them are available day and date right now, but I still haven't gotten around to watching Halloween Kills yet. I would love I'd love to do it despite hearing the the reviews on it. I wound up watching Dune. I don't know if you wound up watching Dune. We got to go see that in the movie theater, right? I'm waiting to see it in the theater. So yeah, I really loved it. Um, and we we didn't get a chance to see Edgar Wright's newest movie last night in Soho either. We we've been falling behind, but again, you know, this is a hobby. It's a hobby podcast. We appreciate every single person who listens to this thing. It is a labor of love, and we are back. And of course, we are back for eternals not the eternals just eternals and um boy the the journey of this movie before we even talk about eternals david you know i did want to talk a little bit about like what the word risk has meant to the marvel cinematic universe obviously marvel is one of the things that we talk about the most it has been one of if not the most constant thing in the during the existence of this podcast you know over the last since what 2008 marvel has been steady one of the most successful movie production houses one of the most successful entertainment production houses one of the most successful not only in box office but also in you know audience acclaim and critical acclaim one of the most successful franchises of all time but i did want to talk really quickly about kind of some examples of what people had considered 
quote unquote risky before. Um, and I made a list. I threw five on there. I didn't include any of the, of the Disney plus television shows like Loki, which seemed pretty weird. I don't know necessarily risky considering how popular Loki is in general. Um, but I threw on, I think five, technically six, um, movies that I thought were at the time considered their big risks. And that includes the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think, like, that is probably most universally regarded as, like, their first big risk. It's almost everybody was talking about how, like, oh, this is going to be their first bomb. It's this, it's these wacky characters that nobody knows about. Um, then, obviously, I consider Iron Man 3 to be a big risk, not only for... I mean, what it does in that movie, but also the fact that we're bringing in not really an auteur, not really like a, a maybe an Edgar Wright level guy or or like a Wes Anderson level guy or like, you know, whatever, not like a, a big name filmmaker, but Shane Black has a, is a very, was a very distinct style and a very distinct storyteller. And they, and that was bringing in a successful, fairly successful outside influence into their movies which i thought was interesting um civil war i thought was risky just just for being civil war i mean we're putting all your heroes against one another uh ragnarok i mean kind of almost the exact opposite almost very similar to what i said about iron man 3 except taika was almost an unknown quantity at the time and then, of course, Infinity War Endgame actually being able to pull this off and put together the type of epic conclusion, you know, that we were all, you know, gro- being groomed for, essentially. Do you, do you, is there anything else that you had on there? What would you consider to be one of or some of their biggest risks in terms of the films they're actually making? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you could throw Captain Marvel in there. That was the first time they truly embrace you know a, a movie centered 100 around a, a female superhero um which shouldn't be a risk but it is in this day and age still um because it doesn't have you know quite the following from that standpoint um i right. think i think iron man initially would would be a risk in general i mean the whole launch of this and, and granted when they launched iron man it wasn't known what they were going to do no, but that's you a know, really good point. What it would lead, but Iron Man wasn't exactly like Batman or Superman. And, you know, they took a risk on Downey Jr., kind of revitalizing his career. It's um, a very good point. You know, there was a lot of things that they kind of invested in getting getting going. So, uh, but I think you probably hit the ones that, you know, come to mind for the most part. Um you know, I think there's other ones that I would say some might view risky, but at the same time, I think with the the stock that Marvel had built up and the people they chose to put in charge of those properties, sure. Um, you know, I think it was a pretty safe bet. You know, and I'm thinking of something like Black Panther. Sure. Like. I almost yes. knew exactly that's what you were talking like about. Black Panther to some might have been risky, you know, from from that standpoint. Again, 
awesome seeing, you know, a black superhero um, getting portrayed and, and really getting a, a great opportunity on screen. But the people that were associated with that, like Kugler, you know, was someone who had done Creed and Fruitville Station. Like he was hot, like from that standpoint, like people knew this dude could direct. He had the chops and, you know, you grab people like Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman. And these were like, again, some of them weren't quite who they were, but like Michael B. Jordan was Michael B. Jordan because of Creed <laughs> and Fruitville right. Station. So you knew he was going to deliver. And but even then, that was only Kugler's th third movie, right? Yeah. Like, that's wild. So, but I think, I think in general, there's a lot of, you know, it just depends on how you view, like, what a risk truly is. Like, well, that's you know, next question. What do you, what, what would you define it as? Um, I think for, for me, it's when you, you kind of venture into things that haven't been done before. Uh, because you don't know how successful they're going to be. And, and I think it's also, that can, that can be a number of different things that can be the topic. It can be how you choose to tell a story. It can be, um, you know, how you choose to portray a character. Um, you know, at times we haven't had too much of this, but obviously this is something that happens in Eternals, but when you change the gender of a, a character from the comic books or, sure. Sure. potentially um, tell a story a little bit different than the source material. Obviously there's a risk there. And I think they're, they're all varying degrees of risks. I, I would argue at this point, there's not really that big of risks for Marvel. Uh, they've just built up so much equity with fans that people are going to see it. And because of this whole concept of long story or long form storytelling that we're kind of in with Marvel, like, even if a movie doesn't quote unquote look good, like you still want to see the next chapter. Like even as game of Thrones, maybe the writing started to trail off towards the end. Like the premiere was still watched by a crap ton of people despite sure. negative reviews and things like that. So like you could, you could argue that the finale in the last season wasn't successful, but from the studio standpoint it probably was outside of you know obviously the reviews and things like that and so sure i think i think it depends on on kind of your viewpoint but that's kind of my view on risk yeah i think you're right i think there are just i think risk risk takes many forms right like especially when it comes to popular culture when it comes to commercial art which is like filmmaking is an art form all right but it's also a gigantic industry and so when it comes to that type of thing, there are several levels of risk. It's the risk that you take with the audience and the audience reaction and how they're going to react to these decisions that you make. It's, it's the risk that you're going to take with the critics who are out there, whose entire existence, since the existence of art, there has been critics. You know, there have been critics to say, this is good. There have been critics to say, actually this is bad and then of course it's the monetary value it's how many butts you get in the seats or how many eyes you get on the product and it's true that you can for lack of a better word succeed in some of those areas and fail in others you can make critically acclaimed films that people love like almost violently that don't make any money and you can make 
movies that people love that make boatloads of money that the critics take craps on, you know, and then you get that one real, that one great one where nobody likes it and it doesn't make any money. And then <laughs> there is your true, you know, well, maybe we took too many risks or maybe we didn't take enough risks. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have, especially in the age of Marvel because coming out of Eternal, leading up to Eternals and coming out of Eternals, I would argue that this is this is maybe their most ambitious movie. I don't know, just right off of that. Would you agree that that would you agree in that statement? Would you disagree? I think it chose to be the most ambitious. Well, sure, yeah, of course. From that from that standpoint. I, I, I would say there's other there's other movies that are on a similar level as far as, uh, you know the the topic that they're they're tackling or the the world they're trying to create things like that. I think there was similar levels of ambition there when I look at like things like Guardians and uh, even Black Panther and and certain things like that. Like there was a lot of things here, but I think, you know, why Eternals may stand out as the most ambitious is just one, <laughs> the runtime to some degree, but sure. also um, like the amount of characters that you're supporting in this film for the first and, time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we guardians is the biggest, probably like kind of ensemble outside of the Avengers movies, obviously. Sure. But I don't necessarily count the Avengers movies because we've already, had stories to get us to know them versus trying to get to know them all in one movie. Right. And You're talking so about a, a single movie that focuses on like a single team of people rather exactly. than, rather than a team up of characters we're already familiar with. Exactly. So like guardians, but guardians, we only had what six probably not counting, you know, like the, yeah, the bad guys and stuff like that. So, right. um, so yeah, I mean this obviously doubles that from that standpoint. So it's definitely ambitious in that regard and then it's also ambitious from the standpoint of but this is where I relate it to Guardians to some degree is like we're getting really into kind of the science fiction realm huge and you know we're not relying on things very many things that we've learned from the world of Marvel at this point like it's not like they're calling on things that we've seen in other movies too often in this film like obviously there's comments here and there that tie us into what's going on in the world when they talk about uh thanos and different things like that but there's mm -hmm. not a whole lot in this movie when it comes to kind of the backstory that has been talked about in other films or yeah. tv shows yeah and that and and so i mean let's talk about eternals you know that we've talked about risk and what is risk and and what is ambitious and things like that like Obviously, one of the one of the biggest things we talked about the creators that they get involved with, you know, with these movies, and sometimes that gels really well. You know, sometimes you get, you know, the Russo brothers who come back over and over and over again and are able to successfully tell these stories better than anybody else. You get Taika, who's going to get brought back. You get um, Peyton Reed, who's going to be doing all three Ant Man movies. You know, and then every once in a while, and Favreau for that matter. Um, and then every once in a while, you have a one-off, you know, you have um, Joe Johnston did the first Captain America and that was it. Kenneth Branagh did the first Thor and that was it. 
Um, you know, Alan Taylor did the second Thor and that was it. And so with this one, Chloe Zhao, you know, when they went to, to make this movie, you know, they, they, you know, I'm still, I still don't. And maybe there's a listener out there who can tell us, you can add us at the popcorn diet because the production process of, of these movies, I've always found really fascinating. I've, I've always wondered if Marvel goes out and puts out feelers to like talent agencies to say like, we're looking for pitches for this. Right. And then, you know, you, you get a dozen or so filmmakers who submit their names and Marvel selects six of them. They're like, give us your pitch, you know, on this particular subject or on this particular group of characters or whatever. Or do they go out and they just say, hey, Chloe Zhao, would you like to make a movie? Hey, Chloe, this, would you like to make a movie? Do they, do they go out directly to the filmmakers that they're interested in? Because they were looking at some interesting filmmakers to take this move to, to direct this movie. Chloe Zhao was one of them who was also in the running to make Black Widow. But you also have people like Nicole Castle, who um, is really just a, has done a couple of movies and some television work, but the movies like The Woodsman were, were really well received. The Leftovers, Watchmen, like she's done a lot of strong work in television now too. Travis Knight, who did Kubo and the Two Strings, who did um, Bumblebee, like they, they looked for people and they landed on Chloe Zhao. Now, this movie was already made. Chloe Zhao won Best Director, won Best Picture for Nomadland and suddenly became the most decorated i guess you know the most decorated filmmaker to direct a marvel movie and her films are known for being more naturalistic they are mo no if you if you watch them if you watch nomadland if you watch the writer if you watch those types of movies like they are all about being in the world they are all about these this naturalistic quiet approach to these usually very soft-spoken people and characters in these worlds. So I was super interested to see what she came up with. Did you ever see No Man Land? You saw No Man Land, right? Uh I didn't end up seeing it. You yet. didn't see No Man. You should see No Man Land. It's it's really good. It's it's a it's it's I would describe it very similarly to how I would describe the Eternals, which is it's be it's beautiful. Um it's a little bittersweet, you know, there's there's a lot of soulfulness into it and whatnot. Um, but how do you feel, and we'll, we'll talk about more other bits and pieces of the movie, how do you feel that she felt as a director? How do you feel that her guidance and vision worked for this movie? Did it work? Did it not work? Was it too much like other MCU movies and not enough Chloe Zhao movie? Or did it feel one in of its own to you? Well, and I would argue too that the Chloe Zhao directing was not all that different than when they got coogler um because chloe's only done a couple of movies sure like she has a long list and yes she's the most decorated now because she's the only one to have won one uh directing academy award but technically this movie if you remember was supposed to come out before right nomad land right so from that standpoint, it's not like when they got Chloe Zhao, she was like Academy Award winning Chloe Zhao. Like, true. So, no, from, she wasn't. From that standpoint, it more fit in line with things they have done before. And, and I think you and I are pretty confident someone, Ryan Coogler, will win an award at some point in his career. Oh, yeah. He's done thus far. But, uh, 
yeah, I think as far as as I watched the movie in the direction, like obviously I didn't have a whole lot of background on having not watched Nomad Land yet to the work that she had done, but um, I, I definitely would say it had its own different style than any other Marvel movie. You know, every Marvel movie has its own quirks and things that are different. Like you can tell James Gunn's movies, you can sure. tell Taika's movies, but there's usually a little bit of like a through line with all of them. But a lot of that also, you know, we can't underrate the fact that a lot of times that just happens. Part of that is the same characters are in those movies. So like a movie can feel familiar or in theme with other Marvel movies when you got the same actors and actresses in it, you know? Right. So Captain America showing up in, in the franchise or Thor and, and uh, you know, Hulk being together in Ragnarok made it feel in line because we've watched them in Avengers and, you know, we've watched them, you know, in their own movies and things like that. So this being a movie that doesn't have any real crossover at this time, obviously there will be at some point. Right. Makes it feel a lot different on its own, sure. you know, take a little bit different turn, especially with as sci-fi as it is um, the amount of cast, the kind of very different storytelling uh, because this isn't really a spoiler, but obviously this movie takes place over we're covering like 7,000 years in this yeah. movie so obviously that alone is gonna you're gonna feel a difference in that because we've never really gone that far between times and and looked at the timeline kind of in that way right but I guess as I watched it like style and that it definitely was a little bit more like subtle and um in the sense that you know, it didn't feel as loud, not that there weren't loud scenes, but sure. there's definitely a lot of quiet moments and, and slow down. And, you know, it's not your typical Marvel movie that seems to have a little bit quicker pace than what this film had. I was trying to think if there was another one that felt like it kind of was paced in the same way. And I think, I don't think there is, I think this, no, this is, and, and granted it's one of the longer movies, Sure. Um, I think it's probably only second to the last two Avengers movies, Infinity War and Endgame. I think it would be the only two, if my memory serves me right, that are longer. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. It's, so, I mean, for, for me, I think in watching it, you definitely felt a difference. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And we'll, we'll talk about more about like our feelings on it. But um, you could definitely feel a different style to it as you watched it. Yeah, I mean, there is a, I mean, there's a lot of movie in this movie, and I do think you're absolutely right. Like, I think this movie is way more deliberately paced. This movie is way more, um, way more emotional, and it, it is. There is a lot of moments of stillness between these characters. There's because, as you said, these characters have existed for over seven thousand years on this earth. And they've had to move slowly, you know, they've had to, you know, they've had to sit in place for large periods of time, you know, and watch the rise and fall of civilizations and things like that. And it does introduce us to a much larger, in my opinion, a different, you know, version of the cosmic universe of, of the MCU, you know, this whole idea of, 
celestials basically being gigantic space gods, you know, which is funny because the whole MCU started as like, well, this is like how superheroes are going to be in our real world. And now, like, the, one of the things I was thinking is, like, if a gigantic six-eyed red space god showed up in our atmosphere, our world would crumble. Like, our society <laughs> would crumble. And it just feels like there's so much happening. I love the way that this movie explores, and this is non-spoilers, so we're not going to get super into it, but I love how this movie ex- explores certain points in human history and how the Eternals were there to observe it and and be involved in it in some way, shape, or form. Almost to the point of where, like, if somebody really wants to do it, they need to edit out all of those scenes and put it into their own movie so that now you can watch those at the beginning of the MCU chronologically and then watch all of the modern-day scenes at the end of the MCU as they fall right now. So let me, and and I love that. I loved it. I love this movie. I thought this movie was beautiful. I really enjoyed every single aspect of it. But there is no denying that there is a lot of story happening. There is almost, I mean, unlike, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, man, I don't even know how to describe it. It feels like there's two, at least two movies worth of, of stuff happening in this movie. And I loved it. But would you agree? Was there too much happening? Was there too much like, okay, these guys are, are cosmic eternals. Okay, here they are literally at different centuries in the in the world. Okay, here they are in modern world and, and dealing with the ramifications of who the celestials are, who they are, what their mission is. Like, was it too much for you? It felt a little much. I was trying to think of a good comparison movie-wise that that tried to conquer this much time uh, at, at once. And I think the hard part is, is with the way that the makeup of, of these, of the Eternals is, is that there's not necessarily like in the movie, Icarus is definitely, you know, kind of one of the leads. Obviously we lean into Cersei a lot, sure, but you know, in Ajax, but you know, the, they're all meant to be kind of, equals in a lot of ways yeah and they all have their own roles and their own purposes whether it be in the team or whether it be like as characters right icarus is the stoic leader um uh cersei is kind of the heart you know um droog is like the bad the dark bad boy that you can't really trust you know kingo's the 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 comic relief obviously you know they all fit they all fit storytelling roles as well exactly and so I think the challenge there is, you know, with, you know, and as we get into spoilers, we're talk, we'll talk about what happened with each character, but it's difficult to try and introduce all of these characters and build an attachment to these characters. But you also have such a complicated story that we have no background with that we're trying to uh, wrap our heads around at the same time, this concept of celestials and I mean, take that further. Not only are we trying to wrap our hands heads around that, but we also have, you know, as a lot of movies do, you have kind of some misdirection or some. Sure. Well, some there, there are, there are plot twists. Plot twists within there, and I'm not to I'm not to say that they shouldn't have done plot twists, but I think you add it all up, and that's what made. It, I could see it making it difficult for some people to 
really latch on to this movie or or fully enjoy this movie the first time. I think it's definitely one of those movies that I could see people being like, I enjoyed it more the second time because I wasn't trying to figure what the heck was going on so much. And sure, I was able to sit back and enjoy it a little bit more. But it is tough with a little bit like and, and granted, I watched it at 10 p.m. at night to 1 a.m. in the morning. Yes. You didn't do yourself so- any favors that makes it a little bit more difficult, but at the same time, like I had to, you get some really important information at the very start of the film about some of like the lore and, and background of this. Yeah. And you know, I was, I was eating my flatbread pizza and having (laughs) some, some food and, and didn't know I needed to be so ingrained to everything. I'm going to, this is Every your own damn fault. They were saying, <laughs> "Pay attention to the movie, David." It it was my fault, but at the same time, like there was a lot of 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 text in the beginning. As far as like, there's a scroll at the beginning of the movie, and this isn't a, a giveaway, but like this was like all the Star Wars movies scrolls combined into one big yeah. scroll. Like we got like a chapter of a book to read to start out the movie and I don't I read it all I didn't miss any of it but I like it started coming and I expected it to be like Star Wars-esque where it's like you know maybe five or six sentences right and you know I think I looked down for a second and looked up and I was like oh my gosh there's a ton here I need to get reading (laughs) to to catch all of this because I'm guessing I need to know some of this stuff yeah yeah so I mean that that I think the reason I bring that up is because I think that is kind of like a sub uh, a capsule of the whole movie in the sense that like it just tries to do a crap ton in one movie and I find found myself being like I don't know that you could break this up into two movies I mean you definitely could but I don't know yeah like they would need something else in there right like we would need like a middle ending of this film uh, because right. there's not there's not really multiple climaxes in this movie no um, from that standpoint it's all building up to the very end of this film so it's not like you could say okay here's a clean spot we could have broken this up into two like you know just under two hour movies um, so it, and, it, I, and and I and and I've heard people talk about how like it could be a television show and I wouldn't want that for this kind of story like at all i could see it being a, a tv show and I, I don't think i would mind that because i think you would you know not that it's <laughs> i think it's easy to compare this to game of thrones because sure you have half the cast of game of thrones in it but um okay there's only two but regardless i get it uh, I, I get it regardless i can you also had game of thrones where this was this world that we were going into this fantasy world that there was a lot to figure out and learn in history and things like that. And I don't think that was unlike this movie where there's a lot of history. Obviously we know earth's history and now we're just getting injected to how these internals played a part or what right parts of history they were, they were a part of, but like I could see it being a TV show. I understand why you're saying I wouldn't want it to be a TV show because yeah. the visuals you're watching on that on a small screen versus a big screen um, would I was, not be nearly as satisfying. No, but not I even close. From a storytelling perspective, I think this could have 
benefited from being on the small screen this could have and been, having more time to flesh out these characters. This, this could have been your email. This could have been an email. That's what you're saying. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about one thing before we, we I wanted to talk about the characters because we talked about there's a dozen or so characters. We talked about how, you know, they're, they all serve their purpose and stuff like that. Who are your favorite characters? Who are your favorite performances in the movie? I genuinely liked everybody. Like I, I was amazed that they managed to make every character interesting and they each all have a different power. They each all have a different speciality, whether it be Fastos who can build, build anything, who's the engineer, um, whether it be Drew who can take over people's minds, stuff like that, whether it be Thena who's, the great warrior who can make these weapons out of energy or what have you. Um, did you have any favorites? Like I, there are some times where I, I've, I don't know what people are talking about. Like I had no, I, I thought Kumail Nanjani is fantastic in this movie. He's hilarious. Number one, a lot of, I, I just was reading reactions that are like, he's like, he's in a totally different movie. And I disagree with that. I thought he fit in really well. I thought what he was doing brought that levity to the story. Um, I thought there was some really interesting stuff with his character at the end. I absolutely love the character of Icarus, and we're going to have to talk more about him in spoilers, but I was just fascinated by all of it. Just every character had something that I found interesting, had another layer that made them just a little more interesting. Um, So I have a hard time picking out a favorite, even if it's Kumail. What what would you say about the characters and the performances and things like that? Yeah, I don't know that I felt like uh, Kumail was in a different movie, although he was in a different movie. If we want to, I mean, literally to it, he literally was <laughs> in a different movie inside the movie. But you know, I do think he brought some levity that was definitely needed. This movie, especially with the way, especially with Chloe Zhao's style there was a need for levity because there was a lot of quietness like this, you know, when you're the score guy, but to me, like the score was very subtle throughout the film. Uh, It wasn't, you know, like a lot of Marvel movies, like that score is driving things and you're hearing it and it's always there, but because this is a much slower moving, like the score kind of reflects that in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Granted, you've been listening to it for probably two plus days now, so you can speak better to it than me. But um, I think as far as performances, one, I think I just have to get it out of the way and say that it's weird seeing Richard Madden interact a lot with a character named Cersei, uh, given the Game of Thrones (laughs) baggage baggage that we have and and even uh kit harrington <laughs> interacting with uh, uh, a character named cersei i'll tell you number one it's it's weird having the the stark boys back number one yep. but number two i was actually really happy to see particularly kit harrington break out another pitch like because sure. he's he's just so he was just so stoic and Jon Snow in like everything that I seen him in and to see him be like a like to be actually like a little charming like sure. I'm I'm for it I, I love it I, I was did it did it inch him closer to a possibility for James Bond for you I don't think I think if <laughs> if anybody's going to be Bond it's going to be Richard Madden for sure I think my two favorite you know would be actually I think my top three if I'm going we're probably uh 
my favorite for sure was Gilgamesh. I was a big Gilgamesh fan. I love Gilgamesh. I love hearing this. He, he was fantastic. I loved him. And I was also, I also really enjoyed uh, Druig and uh, why am I blanking on the, the other one? Well, uh, so you can also, you don't Macari. have to give Macari. The fast one. The fast one. The yeah. speedster. Sure. Yep. I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed those two a lot. Um, I, all of them were solid. All of them were definitely good. I That's actually the best was, part is that each one of them has something interesting. Like the little thing that Macari and Drug have going on off to the side is interesting. And I like that. I like that it, it, it doesn't take center stage, but it helps flesh out who these characters are. Cause clearly the leads clearly it's, it's a Cersei and Gemma Chan and Icarus and Richard Madden there are two leads that they have a romantic story and things like that. And then we have, you know, we have Angelina Jolie, we have Salma Hayek. I loved Salma Hayek in this movie and the way that she's utilized. And if you read as I do read spoilers that say like, you know, what happens, it really doesn't, it just doesn't flesh out the way that these characters are used. And Um. I really enjoyed it all. Quick question for you. Sure. It was rumored when they originally were doing the casting and Angelina Jolie signed on that she was signed on for the role of Cersei. No. Thoughts? No. Could it have worked better or worse with her there? Could it have worked better or worse with her there? No, I like her where she is. Honestly, like, I think that that her usage in this movie, her usage rate in this movie is really smart. I think that the way that they utilize her not only as um, like, like I think they do a really good job of utilizing her as a movie star. And, and I think she's, she's given the perfect position as a movie star to fill out this, to fill out the cast of this film. You know, it's, it's, she's great in the movie, you know, she's great as like this wild card. She, she fills her purpose perfectly. And uh, I wouldn't change it. She's still really hard to not, just picture as Angelina Jolie for me. And, it's and true. That's not that's not her fault. She's she like you said, she's great in this movie, but you st- she's still jarring at times in the right. cast and crew. <laughs> you're you're Angelina Jolie. It's it's tough, you know. Yeah. And she's positioned pretty strongly in all of the materials as well, and all the marketing materials and things like that. So it's just it's it. And again, that's it, it's interesting how they utilize all these characters. You know, Gilgamesh is played by Don Lee, who is in Train to Busan. Huge, like, basically one of the most popular Korean actors out there right now. Brian Tyree Henry is incredible, you know. And I really like seeing all of their 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 powers interact and stuff like that. But, like, we probably get a little bit more into it into spoilers. But we before we even get that far, let's do our popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the moment. Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, our popcorn ratings are a little bit different than other ratings. Instead of thumbs up or stars or anything like that, we have our series of popcorns. Burnt popcorn means a movie is trash. It's garbage. Don't waste your time. Stale popcorn means if you're in a pinch, if you absolutely have to, go for it, but you are not going to get a quality product out of it. Microwave popcorn is, your mileage may vary. Some people love microwave popcorn. Some people, they find it really unsatisfying. It is middle of the road. It is perfectly fine. Your mileage may vary with microwave popcorn. 
movie theater popcorn is you should see this movie on a big screen. You know, take the time out at some point in time to go see it. It's worth it. And then perfect popcorn is go see this as soon as possible on the biggest screen you can. David, what is your popcorn rating for Eternals? It's a, it's a solid movie theater popcorn for me. There's, you know, the length, some of the, you know, amount of stuff that we've taken on uh, affects it a little bit for me, but I had a great time and I think it's definitely one to see in the theaters. Um, I would be happy to see it again, but it's, it's a solid movie theater popcorn for me. So I'm giving it perfect popcorn. I actually think now, is this my favorite Marvel movie? No, it's, it's, it might even be, you know, just because of the tone, because of there is a, a, there is, it, it is not the, the most rousing of Marvel movies necessarily. Um, I still think it might be like the best made. Like I came out of this thinking, and and I know this is crazy. Hot take. Big hot take, but I was watching this movie and I'm like, this should be in the conversation for best picture. Like, I just thought it was beautifully made. I loved the characters. I loved the conflict. I was so fascinated with all of the cosmic intertwinings and plot twists and things like that. I, I was, I was, enraptured with it i love the music when it popped in the main score is great there and and listen i can say like yes there's a lot of movie here okay there is a lot of things here that i think will only be rewarded upon a second viewing but everything worked for me i really really enjoyed this movie so i'm giving it perfect popcorn now are you sure you're not trying to just zag because you're uh, upset about the negative it's getting I'm not, I'm not trying to zag. I don't get it. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, and, and here's the thing. I said, I've said this to somebody before and I'll say it again. I probably overweigh ambition, right? As just as somebody who watches movies, I probably overweigh ambition versus execution. I'm willing to admit that. Okay. But I still think that this was really well executed. I thought the ambition behind it was really well. Am, am I am I grading it on a curve just to fight against people who I think have a bad opinion? Maybe. But then again, it's our podcast, so I can do what I want. Speaking of that, we got to talk spoilers. Got to talk a little bit of spoilers here. Some interesting things happen in this movie. But before we do, we're going to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, spoilers. 
Um, I don't even know where to start. I mean, without just listing like all the spoilers in general, I wanted to talk about, I think probably the best place to start, at least where I wanted to start, is with Icarus as a character. Um, and this is what I find so interesting. And this is one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that Icarus's position is the hero. He's the Superman. You know, he's the one that can fly. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He is the stoic military leader of, uh, well, not leader necessarily, but he is the stoic military one of the Eternals. And he turns out to be the antagonist. I don't even want to call him a bad guy because I found his struggle and his conviction to be so interesting and to be, frankly, justified given the history of the Eternals. The idea that he is the one responsible for Salma Hayek's death, for Ajax's death, because she lost the faith, essentially. You know, she realized that their mission and their purpose, you know, was to basically commit genocide over and over again. And his argument being, yeah, but that will lead to billions and billions of other worlds and lives being created. I found to be a really fascinating argument that didn't have a particular winner. You know, it didn't have a particular one that you could say like, yeah, we shouldn't kill everybody on earth because the possibilities are so interesting. And his, a lot of people I've read in in several reviews that he's, he's, he's not doing a good job or he's not acting or not emoting, which I disagree with. I, I think that the entire movie, he is holding this secret inside of him and watching his friends debate a topic that he feels so strongly about that he killed for. And I found it fascinating. And I found the whole thing fascinating, how principled he was, how he was willing to fight and kill his friends, or at least he says it. And then when presented with the opportunity to do so, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because of the love he had for Cersei. I loved it. What did you think about the whole Icarus thing? You know, I, I was fine with it. I, I, you know, I expected some kind of twist within there. Um, I thought it was a good twist, not something that is, you know, too telegraphed or anything like that. So I thought it was good. Um, obviously I don't read the spoilers, so I didn't know about it going in. Um, I think my challenge was, is I, I don't feel like we had enough time really building up and maybe I was trying to decide, was it that I didn't feel the on screen chemistry between Richard Madden and, and, uh, Oh, Emma Chan, Emma Chan or Cersei and and Icarus. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was that I didn't really feel that because we had the flashbacks of the wedding. Sure. You know, and and the first I think the first Marvel sex scene um, we had. But like you had that. But like. There wasn't a ton of additional because like the other times they're together, they're fighting. We had probably just as much type of like relational type time with Cersei with Dane Whitman, Kid Harrington's character. And so like, I just didn't feel like this was this, like, obviously I can think in my head, these people have been together for 7,000 years and they were married for however many thousand of those years. So like I can, in my head, think that and attach that to that meaning. But like there wasn't as much shown work in the movie for me to really feel that emotional connection when he's, you know, crying there and can't do it. You know, uh, I bought it. I, I mean, maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe I'm like, all right, these two beautiful people say they love each other. I, it makes sense. I'm in. Sure. You know, <laughs> it, that's the thing is 
there's a difference between something makes sense in a movie and having done what it needs to do for you to emotionally be there with them. All everything that happened in this movie was well constructed and made sense. Just I think the problem that it had is it was doing so much. It didn't put in enough time for me with a lot of the things for me to be on the same emotional level as the character I was watching on the screen, you know, crying. There was multiple scenes of people crying and getting very emotional over things. Yeah. That felt like we got to that point without really building up any reason for us to get to that point. Um, from a from the movie standpoint, like sure. for instance, when Fastos, yes, like when he's crying at Hiroshima, like yes, we cut to Hiroshima, he's weeping and we're right. gone, and like it's hard to have a real emotional attachment to to this character and his how he's feeling about this because we spend so little time with it. Like there wasn't that buildup. Like we didn't see all these times where he's pouring in. I think we had one time before that where he was like attempting to help, you know, obviously humans with his, uh, with his inventions and things like that. Yeah. But like, we hadn't built it up to where we could feel that emotion. Obviously we all have emotions with Hiroshima that, that we can identify with like how horrible it was for all those people to be wiped out. Yeah. One of the one, one of the darkest moments in human history, and sure. it was, and that's the thing. It's just I bought it. Sure, and and again, it's not that it didn't work for me. It's just I felt like we were supposed to be super emotional with some of these moments, and I just didn't feel like I had connected far enough with any of these characters to get emotional with them. Like you, you have in, and I believe multiple Marvel movies maybe maybe gotten a little misty eyed like yep. this little dust in the to, theater did you get dusty at all in this one i didn't get dusty but i felt it in my chest so like another another point maybe not with the hiroshima point but like um when uh when icarus kills ajak and brings her back and lays her down and just has this outburst of of emotion and it, it literally breaks apart. Like, I, I felt that. I felt that. And that's where I feel like, you know, we talked about the TV show versus a movie. Like, I thought everybody did a great job acting. Just again, like, we had some really high peaks in emotion by these characters where they do a great job expressing that emotion. Just for me, I wasn't there with them as far as getting to that level of emotion at times with them. Like, so th I think that was more my challenge with it at times is like, we got into some really intense scenes that I didn't feel like they had had enough screen time together for me to feel the true weight of what they were trying to do. Cause there was a lot of weighty moments in yeah. the film. Yeah. And some of them were with characters that screen time wise, they had maybe shared five minutes of screen time together, but we knew they had spent 7,000 years together. Screen time wise, they had seen each other for five minutes. Yeah, so it's, it that just was a challenge. Like, I get it. I get everybody it. Everybody had this emotional, you know, you had this emotion of everybody with like Ajax. And the problem was, is like we got to that point 
pretty early in the movie and we had seen like just some montages of them fighting deviants at that point we hadn't really seen like this true connection of how ajak was the leader granted we built that up a little bit more uh right as the movie went on right the structure like, of it but like it was hard like to really feel that in the moment when we learned of it and so that's that's all like i said i think nothing like i have no holes to poke necessarily in like the story itself and any of the places that we got to like i don't really have much that come out and again i'd probably have to watch it to get super critical of any like story plot points that i would would poke holes in but for me it was all just a, a a product of like i never got there on the emotional side with it because i was trying to keep up with not keep up with, but I was, I was absorbing the story itself. That's fair. And that's perfectly fair. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. And I mean, I think there's one, like, I don't think I have to cry to be emotionally affected. And I don't think that's what you're you're saying either. To me, the plot just clicked for me. And I love going back to like Ajax dying and your boy, our boy Gilgamesh, you know, taking an L. I love that they killed a couple of these guys because it made the ending seem more, like all oh, anything could happen you sure. know it, it it made these characters who we are familiar with i don't know what the word is more susceptible you know it, it, it put the question mark um so that when like at the end when like drew gets literally like blade like lasered into the earth and then shows up to knock out sprite that's great that's a fantastic moment you know i'm trying to think like to me I just, I was just, I was really interested in it and I was really interested in how like basically cool celestials. Okay. Space gods get it. You know, ego was a celestial, uh, nowhere where the guardians first went to go find uh, the collector, a celestial's severed head. Right. So space gods, but not indestructible. Right. But celestials, all powerful space gods. Cool. Fine. And then, realizing that like their like birthing process was was having a world grow to a certain point and having a, a population grow to a certain point to where the emergence could happen like a giant egg and boom a celestial pops out and everybody on that planet dies but then more life is created cool track with that and the fact that i love that the opening crawl actually lied to you right because in the opening crawl they're like the deviants appeared out of deep space and were a terrible scourge upon the universe. And therefore the celestials had to create eternals as the protectors and caregivers of these worlds until the emergence was possible or some bullshit like that. Right. But then you find out that was all wrong, that the deviants were actually created by the celestials to clear out the apex predators of those worlds so that the populations could could grow, you know, strongly or more strongly and that they mutated out of control. So now we're going to create these space robots. It all sounds dumb, but like, I was, I'm like, I'm into it. I, I track everything that makes sense. And the fact that these Eternals, which are designed by their very process to not evolve, actually do evolve, maybe not physically, but like emotionally and understanding that there is a value to life 
that the celestials don't necessarily understand because it might even be too, you know, small on their level and how that created a rift between this group, how that created a rift between Icarus who believes that it was worth it and Sprite and even Kingo who's like, I, I, I buy this, but I'm not willing to kill anybody over it, which I loved. Like that spoke to me in a big way. I just soaked it all in. I'm like, bathe me in it, man. And then at the end, when we got the hand of a freaking space god coming out of the ocean. Now here, I, I will tell you this though, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Do you remember the ending of the Transformers, The Last Night, yeah. where like, Vaguely. where like, it's like Cybertron is coming out of space and like merging with the Earth and pulling just gigantic chunks out of the Earth. There are some. There are basically there are three movies now, where I was like, this is almost too big to comprehend. The last Transformers movie, the last Independence Day remake or the sequel. So it's already, we're not, it's not too good of company. But then also this at the end when they're like, okay, there is 60% ahead of a space God and a hand that are now sticking out of the ocean. And there is a red space God that shows up in the upper atmosphere that everybody sees. Yeah. I'm like, that's entire, that's incredibly big. And like, what the hell is that? Are they going to even mention that in like Spider-Man No Way Home? Are they going to be like, what about the giant marble space hand in the Indian Ocean? Like, it was almost too big to comprehend. It was almost too vast. And to the point of where even if they succeeded, the world would be so changed and so impacted by it. And I understand that this is in a world where half the population was snapped away for five years and then snapped back. And I can't even imagine what the world is like then. But that kind of broke my brain a little. How yeah, did you well, feel I mean, about like, it? what's the status of the Earth going to be when there's this celestial that's been apparently like being. Uh, developing in the core of the earth that's coming out of the core of the earth but only gets partly out and then gets turned into what looks like marble right still technically a hole in the earth unless it was all filled in by marble but again i would imagine that has some effects on on the stability of earth as as a uh, as a world as a planet but again, those are things for me where I'm like, it's science fiction. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you really want to debate like the mechanics and the gravity and things like that, like, right, you're gonna you're gonna run into a lot of issues in Marvel movies. It's like, so it's, like it's like when I argue about certain parts of Harry Potter. And like, what I'm more what I'm more curious about is technically there's an overlap between this celestial being grown in Earth and ego planting his own seeds on earth and that was more where like my the only that was the only thing that i walked away being like how does that work like what's the difference between ego and these celestials are they the same and if they're the same ego was doing this whole like plant his seed in all these planets and take them over to make them more powerful right like what's the like that's where like I'd have to do some research and figure out what was different. But like I would imagine if if egos grow in something that would be in direct conflict with this other celestial that's growing there. Right. And 
something would have come to a head with those two being in conflict. And so maybe that's are those, you saying the celestials need to get their shit together? Maybe have a group meeting? Well, that's where I'm like, maybe that's something that probably <laughs> doesn't work storytelling wise, as far as like within this world that we've built, like it doesn't work that those two things could have happened at the same time. Yeah. Um, but at the same time is far enough removed storytelling wise and is minor storytelling wise that like, it's like a nitpick. Like we could go through the Marvel and there's lots of little nitpicks here sure. that over time, because we've been making these movies for 13 plus years, don't quite work together because we've told so many stories at this point, there's going to be things that somewhat contradict each other. Like you can't com have complete canon across all of these things at this point. Um, yeah. It's I'm trying to figure out what he called. He called ego called it something, but I don't think he called it the emergence. Um, I just can't remember what it was. Cause I remember when we had that scene where it started to like expand in that random town or whatever. Right. And it was uh, never referenced again that a gigantic blue glowing gigantic thing of goo like killed, you know, 10,000 people exactly. in the middle of exactly. Iowa or exactly. Missouri or whatever. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? It's like at some point in time, you're going to have to shut it off and be like, this is sci-fi. Now this is total fiction. Despite the fact that like, you know, this exists in the same universe as Falcon and the Winter Soldier that are dealing with very real socio-political issues. So sure. exists in the same world where, you know, freaking Tony Stark shook hands with Elon Musk, you know, and things like that. So it's it's it the, the world is growing to a point of where like you just gotta let go and let God. Last thing I want to mention before we wrap it up here. And end credit scenes. I was going to say, we got to talk end credit scenes. Got to talk end credit scenes. First, we got Patton Oswald as Pip the Troll. And we got Harry Styles, who I will admit, like, I'm not hip and up with what the cool kids are, like, into now. But, like, Harry Styles is, like, basically new Bowie. Like, I don't know if you can speak on that, but, like, biggest one of the biggest musical superstar performers in the world sure right popular with the ladies giannis onto the uh giannis uh of the bucks i'm not gonna try to say that again Atentacumpo or something yeah said he went to a harry styles concert and it was just him and a bunch of women <laughs> and so or a bunch of girls and uh he said he enjoyed the show well <laughs> but, well, he's in now he's in the MCU. Apparently he signed like a five picture deal. He is Thanos's brother, uh, Enos, I think. Eros. Eros. Also known as Sky Fox. By Sky Fox or Star, or is Star Fox. Oh. Not to be confused with the Star Fox. Nintendo might have an issue with that. I'm not sure. But basically yeah. he shows up and he's got the same little orb that uh Cersei had that helps them connect with the Celestials. And he's like, your friends are in trouble. And the character is basically a space version of Harry Styles. He's just like a womanizer. He's just uh, this charming rogue person. So I will be super interested in, into what happens there. Like, basically it's like Thanos turning around and smiling at the end of the 
the first Avengers it's, movie. This is the thing with this this segment of the MCU is like I don't know how like it was very <laughs> easy to understand how they were going to piece together the pieces they were creating with right. the original phase. Right. Um you know because you know it all led to the Avengers you got to know pretty early on it was going to be some kind of fight with Thanos. Like it was pretty easy to piece these together, but we got some wild things going on. We got, we're, we're going beyond the mainstream. We got multiverse. We got Loki and the, the timekeepers. We've got the watcher. We've got, you know, all these sorts of things. And then we've got like real things like you talked about earlier with uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and yeah. Black Widow and stuff like that. So it's like, I just don't know how this is all going to play together. Part of me was asking, was thinking, did they just kind of uh, show their hand as far as who's going to be the big bad for maybe the first like? Well, he's, well, Eros, Eros isn't a villain. He's, he's. No, not Eros. I'm saying the Celestial that. Oh. There because he said. I'm going to take the them back. Right. Judge whether they acted right. And I'll come back with my judgment. Basically, I might come back to destroy Earth as <laughs> as a result of you destroying. Yeah. I mean, so is like, it going to be that guy or is he like Dormammu? Because remember, Dormammu was like a like Dormammu in Doctor Strange. is a they, big, they bad deal. They have to resolve it because he oh, sure. literally took. Cersei and people who I would assume are are going to be characters moving forward. Sure, sure. You so like we can't. It's not quite like Dormammu, where like he defeats Dormammu and he's kind of out of the picture. He's literally holding on to and holding captured like multiple three characters. major heroes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So well, I'm sure and and resolve it to some. And again, very boldly, they put at the ending, very ending of the film. Eternals will return. Yeah. So like, okay, let's go. Let's see where they pop up. Last scene, we get our boy John Snow. Knight. We get Black Knight. Well, we don't really get Black Knight. We get John Snow reaching out to the ancestral sword that will no doubtedly turn him into the comic book character of Black Knight. But he's already playing the person who's yes, the alter ego of the He's already playing Dane Whitman, who is Black Knight's alter ego. Now, before I mention the last part, this is the same thing. At what point are the regular people, who I do not consider ourselves to be the regular people, we're the nerds, we're the movie guys. At what point are the regular people, like, because there has to be a point at some point where people are just like, you know what? I don't care anymore. Like, there has to be a character where they're like, oh, okay, now this guy's going to play the Black Knight. And people, what the hell is that? Like a regular person, right? I feel like we're getting maybe a little close to that point. I'm not entirely sure. Well, I, I think if I was a regular person who didn't... But the, here's the thing, is we live in the day of the internet where a lot of people are going to be like... We do live in the, the day si- of the internet. What's the significance of the end credit scenes? Or what's with the sword at the end of... like? However you Google it, you're going to end up with at least a dozen articles that tell you what you need to know about it. I mean, hell, we're we're even getting the filmmakers clarifying it because we're told that the voice who says to him, are you sure about that, Mr. Whitman? 
is freaking Blade. It's Mahershala Ali. Literally, Chloe Zhao came out today, I think, as the recording, as we're recording, and said, guess what, everyone? That was Mahershala Ali. That was his voice. That was Blade. Well, they had to do that because you know who it sounded like. It sounded like Blade. Wesley Snipes. No. <laughs> to me, I because it goes so quick, I thought it might be Jeffrey Wright, the watcher. Oh, oh, okay. That's interesting. Because it, because it would have made sense. We just got off watching the watcher who started to involve himself and he talked in a similar way to Doctor Strange in that show when Doctor Strange was gonna go all crazy in that right. alternate timeline. Right. And so to me, it would have made sense if it was the watcher being like, are you sure you want to do this, basically? Um, and so that's what I thought at first. And then I looked it up and saw that it was and it made less sense to me. That's a good yeah. guess, though. <laughs> but I don't know. Blade likes, I, maybe Blade just like swords. I don't know. I, I have no clue. But regardless, I haven't Googled to see what storylines there are between the Black Knight and, and Blade if there's some... Uh, <laughs> Maybe there is. I haven't. I haven't either. I'm sure there is. But regardless, I think to answer your original question, I think for the regular watcher, someone who doesn't care about all the nerdy stuff, all it means to them is they're going to get more Kit Harrington, And like, that's probably what they get excited about. Cool. And they're into it. Cool. Jon Snow is going to get a sword and do something with it in the next movie, which is funny because we probably won't see Kit Harrington again for another couple of years like five years at the rate because, everything's yeah so he's probably not in another marvel movie for a while well i'll tell i'll tell you searching searching for the term blade on marvel comics black knight wikipedia page is dog shit because the main source of his power is called the ebony blade so that's literally what the only terms that, <laughs> that oh wait a minute here we go oh interesting at one point Dracula replaces Dane Whitman's blade with blade with a fake one. Oh, got some Dracula. This is very interesting. I think I'm, there might I'm, be. I'm seeing something on here that says Blade will make his MCU uh, debut in the Disney Plus Moon Knight. Show. In Moon Knight, yeah, I heard that as well. Oh. Who, like, I get like we should just sit back and just enjoy the show. You know, just well, sit back I mean, and enjoy this. Enjoy the show. Is Moon Knight synonymous with Black Knight? Like, are we actually going to get someone named Moon Knight, or is Moon Knight I a don't. different character? No, Moon Knight's a different character. Moon Knight is being played by Oscar Isaac, and he's like a schizophrenic lunatic. Like, I'm, I'm a super, go. I am super excited to see, just incredibly excited to see what they do with Moon Knight. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I'm here It'll for be it. Something. I'm here for right. it. What's our, oh yeah, I guess what's our next Marvel movie? Well, we're gonna get Hawkeye, and we're getting Spider-Man Far or No Way Home. TV show Hawkeye and and movie Spider-Man. Which one comes first? I'm almost certain Spider-Man. I'm almost certain because I think Hawkeye is Christmas, um, and Spider-Man. Well, ha- no, oh no, I think Hawkeye's first. Hawkeye comes out at Thanksgiving, so Hawkeye will come out first. I'll be damned. Lock it in. Few weeks. So, few weeks away. So we'll get eject. We'll get ejected out of the sci-fi back into. We'll back have, into the street I like level. I go. Wa- I feel like I need to go watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier again, to to get back into that realm of the world that we're gonna go to. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting, man. It's gonna be interesting. We're getting Hawkeye. We're getting young Hawkeye. God, I can't believe I Kate Bishop. 
Marvel, man, they're, they're around. They, they're they definitely here to stay. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's all go. right. That is going to do it for this episode. Before we wrap up, I want to remind you all again that you can get free episodes sent to you just by hitting subscribe or hitting that follow button. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, and share us with your other good movie buddies out there. We also don't want you to forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider supporting an independent film podcast that, you know, this is needs support when film desperately needs support. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.